Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you again. I think you'd probably think I was faking it if I said that I've missed you and I couldn't wait to come back and all I've done is think about you since we saw each other last. You'd go, no, I doubt that. You'd be right. You'd be right. You'd be right. I didn't start thinking about you till this morning. No, that's not true. That is not true. That's not true. Hey, I was making my way back during the welcoming time and I ran into the crew lickies. Do you guys know the crew lickies? Yeah. So I got to know them in Medicine Hat. I was there for about 18 months. I was doing a transition uh, pastor ministry there and uh, ran into them. And uh, I'm a little bit concerned because I only have three good sermons. They've heard all three of them. And uh, if you guys want to leave and just go to Denny's now, we'd understand. Only two good ones. Only... <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. I walked into that. I deserve that. I absolutely deserve that. Oh, man. That hurt a little bit. That hurt a little bit. Um, <laughs> anyway, it is so good to see you folks. Honestly, I am telling the truth. It's nice to see you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this gathering. You're worthy, Lord of our worship, and your word is worthy of our attention and adherence. Let us not be hearers only, but doers as well. We love you and trust you, and we give this time to you. We pray that you'd be glorified in it. We pray that you would use it to change each of us a little bit more, Lord. We need to be changed a little bit more every day. We love you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so they told me I've got about 30 minutes and the Krulikis can tell you I have never done that in my whole life. It's almost like a challenge to not be done in 30 minutes. So I I, I'm making a promise to you right now. I will have you out of here by 1245 and that's a promise. <laughs> okay, I'm a man of my word. You guys didn't, like there's a lot of people going, by the way, I saw this dear family walk in and get stuck in the corner over here. I want you to know this whole row is open, and I'm not coming back to that. You guys want to shift over. That would be, you know, you might start to glow. I was sitting there, so you might start to glow, you know, the holy man effect. Okay, so you know if I say it that it's not true. So when I was a kid, there were no children on my block that were my age. There was just my older brother, Bruce, and his pals. And especially during the summer months, the last thing my brother Bruce wanted to hear in the morning was my mom saying, now take your brother Colin with you and play with him. And my brother Bruce hated those words. So we would meet him and his crew on the corner. They all had Mustangs with the sissy bars and the banana seats. Do any of you remember those? By the way, do you guys consider yourselves in Saskatchewan or Alberta? Yeah. <laughs> oh, which is code for we are so sick of being asked that. Okay, I'm sorry. Welcome to, Sus welcome, welcome, welcome to British Columbia. 
So my brother and his crew would meet on the corner, and every one of them would say, does he have to come? I was like between five, six years old, and my brother would roll his eyes and go, yeah, he has to come. So they would each day set up some sort of a crucible that I would have to survive to win the right to play with them. And to earn the right, I had to do some dumb things. One time they put me in this dog run with this old uh, Labrador retriever named Duke. He was grumpy and smelly. And, uh, but the Bowers were hunting people, so they had to have this dog. And they shut me in the dog run with the dog. Now, for a five- or seven-year-old kid, that's already enough. But then they started with the hockey sticks, pushing me toward the dog and pushing the dog toward me until finally the dog got upset and I got bit. But for my conformity, I got to play with them all day. Another time, I remember them blacking out the basement windows in one of these guys' houses. And as they're rolling up newspaper into bats, they explain the game to me as they're tying me to a telepost. Colin, if you want to play with us today, you have to let us find you in the dark. And if we beat you with the newspaper bat, if you make any noise, you can't play with us. And so I'm sitting there in the dark, getting hit, trying not to make noise. But I had conformed, and I was allowed to play with them for the rest of the day. I learned early in life that if you go along to get along, there's a reward in it. Now, my dad caught on to this and later gave me the words he had been waiting to say. Colin, you need to stand up for yourself, son. And you need to say no. And this happened after I had come home from school with a tongue bleeding because half of my tongue was on a frost fence outside the school where some older boys said, you're not going home until you lick that fence. And I licked the fence. I conformed so that I could go home. I was going along to get along. And you might think that's a childhood story and a lesson that we've all learned uh, not to succumb to ever again, and yet it is exactly where we are in 2023 on the highest, broadest levels of government and Christian living that I've ever experienced. And I think you're feeling it too. Something happened in our world three years ago, and it's not only not recovering, it's continuing to slide on some sort of a slippery slope that we can all feel, but we don't know what to do about it. Except to receive the message that if you want to be accepted, acceptable, you will go along to get along. You're learning right now not to say what you think, to state what you believe, to be true to your own heart, 
to defend your God and his word and his cross and his gospel and his salvation of your life. We are learning right now to be quiet. You know what I'm talking about? Every day, in your neighborhood, your workplace, your family, certainly when you're sitting on the sidelines with soccer coming and baseball coming and uh, softball and whatever else happens here in Saskaburta, you will know that you can't lean over to just any other mom and start talking about what you think. You never know who's sitting beside you. Folks, Paul talked about this in Romans 12, 1 through 3. I'm going to take you there briefly. If you have your Bibles, go ahead. I didn't bring any slides today. I'm going old school. It's just the old grumpy pastor with a Bible. Some of you grew up with that, right? The old grumpy pastor with a Bible, but you respected him because at least he had the word open. But he wasn't very nice. <laughs> Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What had many of these recently born again Christians come from? They had come from Judaism, and they had grown up watching the act of worship be the sacrifice of animals and the offering of those dead bodies and their drained blood as an act of worship. Paul says, as an act of worship, instead, sacrifice yourselves and offer your lives to the living God because he has been merciful to you. And offering your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is a spiritual act of worship. Don't stand around in a circle, watch some high priest or some normal temple priest sacrifice an animal, drain the blood, offer the meat out the back door, burn some of it, and then call yourself a worshiper. Paul is calling everyone to a whole new standard, and he is saying, it's you. Offer yourselves and your life and your life blood, if you must. That is is acceptable and pleasing to God. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind. That word transformed is the same word that is used of Jesus during the transfiguration. When he went from not glowing to shining, when he went from humanity to glorified humanity in the moment, godlike there was a process that took him from here to there. And we are to be people who are being transformed, processing from who we are right now to be less like ourselves and more like Christ over time. It's called sanctification. And Paul is saying here, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What pattern? What is the pattern of this world? The pattern of this world is to reject God and his word and his son and his church and anyone in it. 
The pattern of this world doesn't just lean toward evil, it longs for evil to guide them. And folks, we are seeing this. Aren't you seeing it? It's sort of being reported to us as news. Another way to look at things, talk radio, some of the, some of the conservative television you might watch. Even the television that is distinctly Christian is sending out warning after warning after warning saying things are changing. There is a leaning that has become an attraction. And here we are. What will we do? How do we respond? Paul is saying, don't conform to that pattern. Don't go along to get along. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think. Learn to discern if that worldly message and that comfortableness with evil is finding a place in your mind and you have started to accept it as, well, that's just life. That's just the way it is. Hey, I don't want to make any trouble. Then he goes on and says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. So what I'm hearing Paul say is there is pressure being put upon you to conform to a pattern that is worldly or the world's pattern of leaning to and actually being entertained by and tolerating evil as the new norm, new freedom, And he's saying, be very careful that that message is not finding a home in your mind. Be transformed by renewing of your mind, focusing on the things of God. What does it mean to stand in Christ on the word under the sovereignty of God? What does that look like? Well, I, I guess it could be going to church once a week. I guess it could be faithful giving and serving. Those are good things. But we're supposed to be going from normal to supernatural, transformed the way Jesus was at the transfiguration, from something that was not glowing to something that was so bright it caused men to fall down. Now, you and I aren't going to achieve that brightness. I know that certainly of me. But somehow, Paul is implying that if we will be transformed by a renewing of our mind, we will stand up under the pressure that is being placed upon us to conform. We will stand up under it. As my dad said to me, Colin, you need to learn to stand up for yourself. And you need to learn to say, no, I won't. You know what actually happened to me? I became the guy who got big enough in our high school to protect everyone who couldn't protect themselves. Same lesson, but I wasn't just looking out for me. I was looking out for other people that didn't know how to say no and didn't know how not to conform. 
To this day, there are stories that can be told about the guys that were upside down in lockers at Evan Hardy Collegiate in Saskatoon. Because I'd come along and I would say, uh-uh. We don't do bullies here. And then I'd bully them. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, if you can find that. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 teaches us how to stand up under pressure that's being placed upon us to conform. And importantly answers the question, and why? See, when my dad said to me, Colin, you need to stand up for yourself and say no, I think I said back to him, but dad, right? There was a, but dad. How do I do that? These guys are bigger, they're mean, and I want to play with them. I don't want to be the only guy without a friend and nothing to do all day. There's a reward for it. And, and so I would say to him, not only how do I do that, Dad, but why would I? And when Paul's talking about there is a pattern of the world that is a, a type of pressure being placed upon you to conform to it, you need to stand up under it, he's saying. And naturally, even a good Christian might go, how do you do that and why would I? Because if I say what I think is true or what the word of God says is true or what I think God expects of me or, or, or I could lose my job. My, my girl could be ostracized on the soccer team because I spoke up to the wrong soccer mom. Our family has enough reason to have division in it already. Why would I bring that into it? And so we are tempted to be quiet, suffer the crucible, and be rewarded with what I call a dirt crown for a day. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego teaches us how to stand up and why you would. And I want to look at it this morning in the remaining hour that we have. I'm serious. Half of you are going, is he serious? Does he mean that? So Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian kingdom, is literally expanding in every direction. And King Nebuchadnezzar owns more land and more stuff and more peoples than anybody else. And one of the lands and peoples that he has conquered and apprehended were the people from Judah, and he brought them to his place, his central kingdom court and kingdom realm, and he wanted these people to become his servants, and so he chose the best and the brightest of the young men and, uh, and wanted them to serve close to him in his court, and uh, it says in... in uh, uh, the earlier cha two chapters of Daniel, that one of the things God did was make Daniel and his friends exceptionally smart. They had unusual IQ, unusual ability to discern, and they became very useful to the king very quickly. You remember in, in chapter 1, 
they were going to feed Daniel and his friends the king's food. And this would be against God's law. So Daniel spoke up and said, tell you what, just vegetable and water, 10 days. If we look poorly, we'll eat the king's food, I guess. But after 10 days, if my friends and I look great and feel great and we're full of energy and life from just vegetables and water for 10 days, then let us keep eating that. They agreed. And at the end of 10 days, they looked great. And they got to go on serving the king without abandoning the law of their God. This is perhaps one of the strongest passages in the scripture for vegetarianism. And um, as you know, it is the only verse in the Bible that is actually inaccurate. (laughs) There's no way that Daniel's diet didn't include beef. There's no way. So anyway, as you know, the story goes, Daniel interprets the king's dream. And when he interprets the king's dream, the king absolutely sets Daniel on a path to success within his kingdom and puts him over the province of Babylon and all its administrative concerns. And Daniel said, actually, I would like to recommend three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to do that. The king says, I'm not saying no to Daniel. He's the number one guy. He's God's man, of course. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, are now in. So we pick up in Daniel chapter 3. Ben, where are you? There is no way I'm going to do this. Can you bless me to just preach the word? I'm trying. Does everyone have to be somewhere at like 10 after 11? Okay. All right. Praise God. Let's go forward. Just... You're so sweet. Both of you guys are so sweet. You so lovingly said, yeah, so, you know, it'd be great if you could. And then this is me, the old guy, going, I can't. Okay, so let's get into it. This won't take long, actually. I'm just, you know. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the uh, other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all the people of the uh, other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. The plains of Dura are six miles outside the city, and he had fashioned for himself an almost 100-foot, 10-foot-wide statue, maybe of himself or maybe just an image that reflected greatness. They covered it in gold and erected it in this desert and invited everyone to come to a party. And, of course, everyone would come to that party. They wouldn't miss that party. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O people, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So beside the statue, they built a furnace. And the message was clear. 
you bow down or you burn. And how is that different from the internal message that you and I feel in our world right now as Christians? You bow down to the pattern of this world. You agree that a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man. And a man can even have a baby. Agree or burn. Burn in social rejection and isolationism and possibly cost you your job, your place in your family, maybe some friends in your cul-de-sac. Bow or burn. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the royal band play, Every man of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Except three. Except three. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the music of the royal band must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who will not pay attention to you, O king. They do not serve your gods nor worship the image of of gold that you have set up. So when you bow down to this image, we assume it's of Nebuchadnezzar, you're not just bowing down to a great king. You're bowing down to everything he is, espouses, his values, his decrees, and his gods, his religion. You bow down to the whole mess. You can't be selective, which is why three young men did not bow down in the desert that day. Keep in mind, by the way, that the astrologers who brought this tattletale moment to the king were the same astrologers that King Nebuchadnezzar was going to put to death because none of them could tell him his dream. They're jealous, they're mad, and yet it was Daniel that said, if I interpret your dream, don't kill all your servants, all the wise men of Babylon, don't kill them. And he didn't. These same guys are back tattling on them. Daniel saved their lives, and now they're tattling on his friends. Just another, just a side note, sidebar. When you're dealing with the world, and it tells you that it appreciates you in the moment, it might not appreciate you and probably won't a week from now. There's only one God we trust. There's only one truth we lay our lives upon and live by. And that's it, folks. Everything else is on a slippery slope all the time. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? 
Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harps, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into that furnace of blazing fire. And then, here's the challenge, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? If you haven't already, you will encounter resistance from the world when it comes to you and your God. They will say, if your God exists at all, why doesn't he rescue you? Why isn't your life better? They said it to Jesus. If you truly are the son, where is he? He's letting you die on a cross. There is no God. And if there is a God that you claim to be loving and powerful, well, evidently, if he loves you, he's not powerful enough to change your circumstances. And if he's powerful, he doesn't love you enough to change your circumstances. Your God is a joke. And King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, and ironically, he has already said, Daniel is the one who serves the God of gods. And he's already flip-flopped. And we call this circumstantial or situational ethics. I believe what I believe based on what I see and in the moment. Last week, I believe God was uh, all over Daniel. He was the man. Right now in this desert, being embarrassed in front of a thousand people who came to my party, I don't believe in that God. What I believe in is my justice. I'm king. And here's the answer that blows us all away. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, right there, let's talk about this for a minute. How did they do that? The royal band is there. The furnace is there. The king is there. The astrologers and all those guys are there. Everybody bows down when the music plays, and three guys just stand there. How did they do that? Well, they did it two ways. One... They had made up their minds so they didn't have to decide. You don't just erect a 100-foot statue in a desert covered with gold on a Saturday afternoon. That took years. For years, the city was talking about it. There were budget discussions about it. Who should be invited? What dignitaries matter? Whatever. And these three guys had had lots of conversations with each other and said... Uh, so the band plays and everyone bows down to the image, including his gods? I'm not bowing down. Are you bowing down? No, I'm not. What about you, Shad? You're going to crack. You're going to crack like a walnut. No, I won't. I'm if you guys stand, I'm standing. I believe the same things. Okay, Shad, but if you go down, we're pinning you. You're going down, man. They had made up their minds so they didn't have to decide. The day the music played and everybody flopped into the desert, they didn't go, 
try and get low. You know, they just stood there. And you and I need to learn to just stand there. When the pattern of this world is bringing pressure upon you to conform and you feel like you want to sociologically, personally, relationally, in every other ways, buckle, stand. Say, well, now I just don't believe that. Not looking for a fight. Not trying to be the only person with a microphone. I just want you to know, when you ask me to bow down to that, I can't. I can't. You don't wait until you've got two brothers-in-law and one angry sister and somebody else threatening to leave Thanksgiving because you won't agree with everybody. Don't wait till then. You'll go, well, can we talk about this after pie? Don't wait till then. Just go ahead and say, well, now, I don't want to argue with anybody, but I don't believe that. That's not what God's word says, and it's not how I'm convicted in my heart, and I can't go along to get along. But I love you. I don't want to fight with you. But you're asking me to give up something that's precious to me, which is my belief in God's word and his values. Love to tell you about them. So they made up their minds so they didn't have to decide. And the second thing that they did was that they came pressurized for the moment. They were pressurized from the inside out. You see, when they started the submarine program, and they were designing those first submarines, they noticed that the pressure of the ocean became greater the deeper the vessel went. And they spent a lot of money in science trying to find the right metal that would withstand that pressure. They tried different alloys. They tried metal from different places. They tried different welding techniques. And the deeper you went, it just would collapse like a tin can. Killed a lot of sailors. Until they discovered the principle of equalized pressure. What if we pressurize the vessel from the inside to meet the pressure that's coming from the outside? Voila. Go as deep as you want. It's just a matter of pressurization. Christians oftentimes are not pressurized from the inside to meet the pressure that's coming from the outside. We're winging it. We're winging it. So when you hear pastors and preachers and teachers and your grandparents and others say to you, are you reading the Bible? Do you know the word? Do you know what you believe? Do you know the tenets of the faith? Do you even know the Ten Commandments? Are you seeking God's power to fill you so that you're pressurized from the inside out? Because many of us know what it's like to just crumple like a tin can. We don't know what to say. We don't know what we believe, and we don't know what to do in the moment. So we just nod and go, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. I'm not making fun of you. I fight this every day in my life. If you're a Christian who's in the battle, you are fighting this stuff every day. Lord, help me choose you. Let me... Remember your word. Let me learn some more. Let me want to be like Jesus. Give me the power to become like Jesus. Failure 
is not an option, and yet it's an option that we exercise all the time. Because standing is hard, and usually it means you're alone. Many years ago, a very seasoned pastor heard me say the words, I want to be a man of God. He just smiled at me, and he said, oh, Colin, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to shoot for. Good for you. And then he said, I want you to know this, though. The closer you are to God, the more alone you're going to be. If you think that being a godly man means you're going to have friends flanking you everywhere you look and people who just want to be around you, it won't happen because, you know what, this is kind of weird to say it. I think you guys know what I mean when I say it. Godliness is not popular. Even in the church, godliness is not actually popular Standing up under the pressure to conform is not popular because if someone knows you're willing to stand, they're going to just move about eight feet to the left. I didn't mean that politically, eight feet to the left. I just meant like <laughs> maybe behind you, okay? So these men stood and talked back to the king because they had made up their minds so they didn't have to decide and they were pressurized from the inside to meet the pressure from the outside because they were godly young men. They were obeying God in the moment. So they say, we're not bowing. I'm going to make a long story short. The king says, I want you to heat up that furnace and hotter than usual. And he does. And they drag those three young boys up to the top of this furnace. It's so hot that the soldiers who took them up there died there. They fell in to the furnace, and right when the king was going, well, there you go, justice. The king leaps to his feet and says, hey, 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 guys, was it three or four that we threw in there? And they say, well, oh, king, it was three. We all saw it. And he says, well, I don't know what to tell you, but there's four guys in the furnace. There's four guys, four guys in the furnace walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. This is thought to be the pre-incarnate um, Jesus, the angel of the Lord. The Christ himself, the second person of the Trinity, was walking with them in that furnace. And one of the things that we need to remember, folks, is when you stand up and when you are thrown into whatever furnace you've been thrown into, God won't see you, see you from the fire necessarily. He won't, you know, transport you supernaturally to a different place so you don't have to face your accusers. But he will walk with you through the fire every time. He doesn't keep us from everything, but he's with us in everything. And that was what these young men had just experienced Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor were the hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire or smoke on them. Do you remember when King 
Nebuchadnezzar said, what king is there that can keep you from my hand? And he's about to declare the answer to his own question. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Listen, folks, this needs to be the testimony of your life and mine. Even if I don't have this whole book memorized, and I certainly don't, I hope you do, and even if you don't walk in godly, holy perfection every minute of every day, which I don't, I hope you do, I want the people who are closest to me and even those observing from a distance to say, well, I don't know what he's doing, man, everybody else believes this and we're just doing what we're told, our government and our schools and our local officials and everybody agrees that apparently the pattern of this world is acceptable and it's good for us and we should just chew on that. And this guy won't. Now, regardless of what I think about his decision, I do admire this about him. Apparently he's a convicted man. And he will not just chew on whatever we're shoving down his throat. Apparently he knows what he believes. He knows his line. He won't cross it. And I got to admire that about him. In the end, a guy like that could end up in jail, some sort of a hate crime or hate speech or this or that. It's dangerous out there. I can't believe anybody would not just go along to get along. But these dang Christians, apparently they really believe what they believe, and they don't buckle. Now, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? Praise God. That would be something. Come on up, Ben. Folks, I'm not a prophet, right? I am. If, you know, when I get to come in here as the guest speaker, it looks like I must be worthy of it. I am an average guy who loves God, loves his word, and I believe in what we're doing here. And I think that there is enough pressure on us right now to conform to the pattern of this world, that we should stand in prayer together and ask God for the filling of his spirit that empowers us to live the life we were called to, and then say, Lord, transform me by the renewing of my mind instead of letting me swallow whole the pattern of this world. And let that be my spiritual act of worship to you. I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to, I want to be a living sacrifice to you, Lord. And it starts with me remembering this word and standing upon it while in Christ under the sovereignty of God, I want to be an actual Christian who would die for you because you died for me. Would you stand, please? Father God, thank you for your word and thank you for this church and thank you for the people in it today, Lord. I pray that you'd give us courage, Lord. This is a time where 
our, our nominal, marginal forms of Christianity where we barely believe what we believe and we actually don't even know how to tell someone else what it is we believe. I think those days of complacency are coming to an end, Lord. I think that you are calling us up and out as your church to be prepared to stand and stand up strong in your name for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we declare this. Amen. Folks, let me answer the questions before the worship team closes us today. How do you stand up and why should you? You stand up by making your minds up so you don't have to decide and by being pressurized from the inside out. But why? Why? What happened when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood in that desert and refused to buckle and bow down to false gods? and the kings of this world, what happened? God used them. Do you know how often people like you and me say, God, when are you going to use me? I don't seem to have a purpose. I don't have a ministry. Like Moses, I can't talk. You know, I'm not eloquent. What am I supposed to do? What if your calling and your gifting is just to be somebody who is strong enough to stand and then let God do the work? I stood up, and you know what? The next day, when the rest of the guys weren't around, one of the guys pulled me aside and said, you know, I've always wondered if there's a God. Had you not stood your ground at the water cooler that day, day next, would that guy be asking you about your God? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up. They were ostracized, criticized, thrown into a fire, survived the fire, came out, and God used them And the king, apparently, was saved. And the king turned his kingdom over to their God and said, if anybody doesn't believe this God, they're not only a fool, they're going to pay for it. Now, I doubt that that's going to happen, but I'm a doubter. But God can. That's why we stand. That's how we stand, and that's why we stand, is God will use us when we do. He's there, seeing us through the fire, so he can be there when we come out of the fire. Yeah? Amen.